as far as we know, there's not much it can't do at this point. Understanding how it works is a matter of research. And so Bonefrog Foundation is definitely focused on helping people repair issues. But Entheotech and a number of other organizations we work with are definitely involved with human performance. How do we make people work, learn, and function better? Welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast with Tom Underwood. Armed with truth and knowledge, your journey to a healthy lifestyle can be obtained. Preventative wellness, quality nourishment, and daily fitness routines dramatically improve your outlook on life as a whole. And you'll find the support and info you need to accomplish a healthier lifestyle here. Together, we can empower each other along our journey to an amazing you. Welcome to episode number 154 of the Rebel Health Coach Podcast, and welcome to December. We are in the final month of 2022, and I can't wait for 2023 and to see what that has to bring. And hardly wait for that. Let's see what happens. Anyway, today on today's episode, I am surrounded here for the first time outside of my office and not using Zoom to record my podcast on location with three incredible gentlemen from the Bonefrog Foundation, which is www.bfforvets.com. That's www.bfforvets.com. And they support vets that have served our country that are struggling with PTSD, anxiety, and other issues. Today's episode, we are going to discuss microdosing psilocybin mushrooms. Yes, right, psychedelics. Psychedelics have returned from the fringes and entered the mainstream in a huge way, whether through successful ballot initiatives or on the New York stock market or in Silicon Valley, but today it's not profoundly visual. Earth-shattering chips like the ones that inspired Steve Jobs to create the iPhone that are being hyped. It's micro-dosing, and we are going to take a deep dive with Jonathan Sims, who is the grower or mycologist for this company. We have Dr. Ken, who is the doctor on board, And we also have Ben Johnson, a Navy SEAL med sniper who has suffered from PTSD himself and started the Bonefrog Foundation with these men. And another gentleman named Kevin Quirk, who is the CEO of this whole thing. So buckle up your seatbelts, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did recording it. And like I said, it's on location. There's a few technical difficulties with the audio since I've never done this before. So I hope you can bear with me and get through the episode and enjoy it as much as I did recording it and researching this product. Oh, one more thing. I hope you have a great holiday season and please take a minute and rate and review my show. Now enjoy the episode and learn lots. First of all, guys, welcome to the Rebel Health Coach Podcast today. I'm excited for this episode. We're going to talk psychedelics and microdosing, which has been becoming more and more popular, and for rightfully so. 
Before we get going, I want to introduce you. I got Jonathan Sims, correct? That's correct, Jonathan Sims. And he is the mycologist. I am the director of operations for Entheotech. I'm in charge of cultivation as well as uh, processing the fungi into finalized products. Thank you. And I have Ben Johnson, and you are an ex-Navy SEAL, sir. Correct. Thank you for your service. It's the least I could do. And I have <laughs> Ken, or Dr. Ken. I don't know. What do you want to go by, Ken? Ken's good? Ken is good. Okay. Ken's good. And we are going to first dive into basically the chemical makeup of the magic mushroom and why it does what it does. Who would like to take that topic? Uh, I reckon I, that's probably my wheelhouse. We'll talk specifically in reference to these psilocybin-containing or psilocybin-containing mushrooms. It's kind of the focus of the psychedelic renaissance research in medicine and the medical applications for it. So the psilocybin mushrooms, a lot of species that contain some of the, I think, uh, somewhere around like eight or ten psychoactive components in any given mushroom that's considered psychoactive that we know of. There's a large variety that contains psilocybin and some other chemicals, but we generally refer to the psilocybin-containing microdose, or the psilocybin-containing mushroom for microdose and other therapeutic treatments. And there's a few chemicals in them, but we try to utilize the biomass specifically for the psilocybin or psilocin. And uh, psilocybin is a compound that much is produced, and then it phosphorylates into the active component of the human body, which is psilocin. So that's what we experience, the actual psilocin. Okay. All right. How about history? You want to cover history? Well, history with psychedelic mushrooms is one of those interesting things that there's um, uh, a lot of possibilities. But as far as what we know for 100% sure, there's a lot of debate about that. Um, Terrence McKenna wrote a really interesting book called Food of the Gods, where he puts forth a theory that essentially says psilocybin may have been at least partially responsible um, for the big leap in uh, human brain growth. So there's a period of about 10 million years where the human brain essentially triples in size, which evolutionarily speaking is kind of unexplainable. Um, he uses a lot of anecdotal information to cross-reference the migration of uh, early humans out of the forest into the fields with a environmental shift where there was a huge explosion in bovine population and postulates that as we moved out of one area into a new one and started looking for new types of food, we started ingesting psilocybin mushrooms and that the introduction of these chemicals to our brains allowed us to develop in a way that other species didn't. Um, now, granted, no, it is very hypothetical that um, you know this is actually what happened, but there are some interesting arrows that kind of point to that. Um, <clears throat> so you can look at psilocybin mushrooms is something that goes back to, you know, our basic, our basic existence as a species. Like stone ape theory or something? Yeah, yeah. The, the stone ape theory is kind of a, a popularized uh, version of that. It is a super cool concept. Um, kind of more modern concepts, um, or I guess important historical aspects you can look at. Um, there's a couple of really interesting books that look at the use of uh, psychedelic brews. Uh, typically, you'd make some type of mead or some type of alcoholic drink and you would brew different things in it 
And sometimes they would contain psilocybin containing mushrooms. And so people would use these in ecstatic worship. So you go back to like the worship of Dionysus, and it would be typically um, female priestesses who would understand, would have herbal knowledge. You know, there's really interesting parallels. You think about today's view of witches, you know, the crone that has their herbal knowledge, they live in the woods. Um, they are able to give you power by mixing brews. This is where a lot of these things came from. Um, and a lot of people believe it was psilocybin mushrooms that were giving people these ecstatic visions. Um, when Christianity came around and started co-opting a lot of these pagan religions, instead of trying to stamp it out completely, they essentially modified it so that people were more willing to come onto the Christian faith. That's why we have so many dates. Um, there's so many holidays that are celebrated at the same time as these ancient pagan religions because they didn't try to stamp them out. They just tried to kind of reorient them. Um, one of the things that people have proposed that was reoriented was this ritual of um, ecstatic sacrament that was done in these pagan religions becoming the consumption of the blood and body of Christ. Um, so the history for mushrooms goes all the way back to the beginning and has some really powerful impact in uh, today's both religious and social culture as well. It, this is not something new or something that happened in the 60s or 70s during the psychedelic era. Hundreds and thousands of years. So. Essentially, as long as we've known that we've been modern humans, there's records that suggest high propensity use for psychedelic substances for physical and spiritual well-being. Now we have this and we have ayahuasca retreats. We have all kinds of crazy stuff that's happening to help us. So let's talk about the basics of microdosing a little bit. And uh, we know it works on the serotonin receptors in our brain. But from your aspect, as a ex-Navy SEALs, PTSD, what, what do you feel when you do it with microdose or when you walk through this with it? How does it how does that work to get you there? Um, well, so I don't know. I don't necessarily dealing with PTSD per se, or at least not in any typical symptomatic form, but I definitely have problems with the physiological and psychological fallouts from TBI, from being exposed to a heavy volume of uh, dangerous blasts and um, bad concussions. You know, I played football for a good bit of time, but a lot of concussions. So started to see my cognition deteriorate once I was out and things kind of started to slow down to moderate normal life pace. All of the all of that pathological uh, thought problems and, and neurological damage and and everything that accompanies that kind of started to rear its head in different times in different ways. And using this uh, serotonergic compounds that help rebuild tissue and and help reconnect damaged neurons is it's just been a game changer. It's given me giving me access to all of my cognitive capacity. It's balanced my hormones, balanced my sleep, balanced my diet. It's just, uh, it's made a, uh, an immeasurable impact on my life, for sure. And I think that's a similar case from what we've heard from just about everybody that's taken part in this one way, shape, or form, whether it's through us or somewhere else. Kevin was kind enough to give me a 30-day supply, and I noticed a few things. The very first, first 
the very first day was kind of interesting because I kind of experienced this kind of like the beginning of the trip. It was like I, everything was brighter. The lights in the room were brighter. The colors were more vibrant. When people were speaking to me, their voices were more vibrant. But as I went through the month, and I noticed a lot of different changes in my in, in my being. I was more I was more at peace on a daily basis. The alcohol use kind of just subsided, even though I don't drink like a fish. But every night at the end of the day, I usually had a glass of bourbon or something just to calm my nerves to get to bed. And that actually went away. Not only that, but at 63, my memory is declining. Unfortunately, it's sad, but it Natural. happens. And at the end of that month, I could, it was my brain was sharp as a tack. Yeah. And is, there, is there anything behind that, Doc? There's a lot behind I'd be lying if we said that we understood every bit of it. It seems that psilocybin and some of the other molecules we're talking about have long-lasting effects. Like you said, uh, you can feel at the end of the month, you can feel at the end of six months, the changes that occur, there's still none of that molecule left in your body. So how's that working? And a lot of it is neurogenesis and the neuroplasticity that helps reinforce tasks and parts of your brain that you use often. Now, as Ben said, it addresses the serotonin receptors, and you may have said it also. The uh, a lot of serotonin receptors are in your digestive tract, awesome. and so your metabolism, your interest, if you will, for alcohol, all of that changes in that mind, gut, body axis, right. and so psilocybin affects all of that kind of simultaneously. Now, it's not just the serotonin receptors that psilocybin is. Uh, addressing when you ingest it. There's a lot of other receptors and a lot of other bodily functions related to hormones that change. And that is partly the anxiety. You know, cortisol is your stress hormone. You know, there are changes in the cortisol level. There are changes in your sleep. And certainly the folks around this table will tell you that sleep is probably one of the most important bodily functions, you know, that you carry out every day. You know, there's certainly waste elimination and there's uh, interactions with your partner and so forth. But sleep is probably the most important thing. And that's where recovery happens, where growth hormone is released. And so you are seeing likely changes in your metabolism, changes in your sleep habits, which affect your anxiety and affect really everything in your daily life. And it's amazing how safe and how reproducible this is. Sure. Yeah, it's the rest. You know, the rest is well, the rest and repair is what happens when we sleep. And the gut-brain axis, to your point, is very powerful. And, and that's something that's becoming more popular as we, you know, in this day and age. And people never really realize that gut-brain connection until recent. Until it's just becoming very huge right now for that whole microbiome system. Agreed. So, uh, what do you, what do we actually let's go. What is actually a microdose? Let's talk about that part. Yeah. Uh, so the, the term microdose is generally referencing a dose that is suboptimal for achieving an altered state of consciousness, but it's still enough of 
uh, introduction of that compound into your system, that you get some binding with the receptors and you get some uh, activity from your body's facilities that are interacting with it. So, you know, when people talk about taking psychedelic mushrooms, uh, a lot of the old understanding is, you know, you eat some mushrooms or whatever tea or whatever the case is, and then, you know, eat enough of it, you get a little goofy feeling in your stomach, get a little lighter, and then you have a little trip experience, however that goes for whatever. But that's that's generally, depending on how good the mushrooms are, where they come from, what kind they are, somewhere in the vicinity of a gram and a half to three, five, whatever, however aggressive people tend to go with it for an altered state experience. Microdose is something that's so little that it's nearly imperceivable in your day-to-day. You don't actually feel anything, but there's still enough of it that's taking place, you know, letting activity take place at the, you know, at the hormonal level, at the receptor level. So when we talk microdose, we generally go with 0.2 grams of biomass, which is, it's a difficult, it's difficult to pinpoint the actual amount of milligrams of psilocybin without synthesizing it because we don't synthesize it in a lab. We grow, we grow organic biomass and there's a lot of biodiversity. But in general, relative to a macro dose trip experience, it's somewhere around a quarter to a half a gram a day. And that's for anywhere from three to five days at a time. And then a two-day break in between to let your system purge the receptors and clean out and prep it. To receive more. So this is actually one of the things that I find really important as far as the work that we're doing and planning on doing with the laboratory that we're building out right now. Um, every mushroom is different. And so we're specifically talking about psilocybin mushrooms. Um, these are cubensis mushrooms. And inside of the species of cubensis, there's well over 100 different varieties of cubensis that present different ways physically. They grow in slightly different environmental conditions, and they have different combinations of chemical compounds that are grown in them. If it's alkaloids or tryptamines, um, some may be present, some may not be present, and they're all present in different quantities. And so when people talk about microdosing, you know, they're taking a tenth of a gram, two tenths of a gram of biomass, it's really impossible to know how much of these psychoactive substances that they're consuming in this dry biomass. One of the things that we're going to be focusing on is developing reliable systems to extract these psychoactive compounds from the biomass, stabilize them, protect them against oxidation so they don't start breaking down, and being able to quantify them so that we can then dose them in exact portions. So you're talking about Instead of eating a tiny piece of mushroom, you'll be taking something like an Advil gel cap that's going to have a, you know, an oil suspension in it that's going to be dosed down to the microgram instead of the milliliter or, or um, milligram um, of these psychoactive compounds. So you know exactly how much you're getting and we can push it forward and bring it back to get the optimal dose for whatever type of uh, benefit you're trying to get from it. Let's just say in general, we're looking at. 10 to 20 times lower dose than what a hallucinogenic dose is. Mm-hmm. And so as you experienced, you did not hallucinate. What we want to do is, is bring you up high enough that you feel in the effects, but you're not hallucinating. You can go on with your day-to-day activities. You can have your normal sleep patterns, if not improved sleep patterns because of the psilocybin. But you go about your day in a normal fashion. 
And so it doesn't impact your day. And that's about 10 to 20 times lower than the hallucinogenic dose. Talking about biomass, when we talk about mushrooms, we think of walking through the forest and seeing these mushrooms growing, or how patties, that's what we eat to get our. Right. Yeah. The dung loving species. Yeah. So when we're talking about biomass, we are literally talking about the fruit body of the mushroom. So a lot of people understand that there is a mycelial mass that grows through the ground. That's that spider webby looking network. People think of it as a root system. It is really just another part of the larger fungal system. Um, there, from what I understand, there are some psychoactive compounds that have been found present in these mycelial masses, but they're present at such low percentages, it's basically not worth trying to harvest that or use it in this sense. What you're looking for is the actual fruit body, the basidiocarp that comes out of the mycelium mat. Um, this is the fruit body that's basically designed for reproduction. This is where the spores come from so that the fungal body can move on to new areas and propagate itself. This is what contains the highest percentage of these psychoactive compounds. So when we talk about biomass, we talk about a harvested and dried mushroom fruit body, and then the relative chemical composition of that fruit body by weight. And then we are going to be looking at actually taking the organic chemicals out of the fruit body so that when you're ingesting them, you're no longer ingesting any physical mushroom biomass. You're only ingesting the chemicals that we have extracted out of it. And this is going to be pretty different compared to a lot of these big pharmaceutical companies who are manufacturing, synthesizing the chemical and then putting it in a pill and dosing it, we will be extracting it from its organic source with also the intention of looking at some of the other naturally occurring chemicals inside of these mushrooms that we can then add back to that cocktail and be able to enjoy some of these entourage effects, these kind of synergies um, that aren't really known as far as how they work right now, but it's going to be part of the research that we're doing. So when you're growing these, what, what does it look like to- what kind of facility or what does it look like when you're growing? Well, you can do, you can do it a lot of different ways. Um, <laughs> growing mushrooms is really simple and it's really difficult. Really, the basic building blocks, you take a grain and you, hide, you soak it in water, hydrate it really well, and then you introduce um, the fungus to it. If it's in a spore form, if it is uh, mycelium, that has already um, grown through other grains, and you add a few of those grains to the soaked grains um, after they've been sterilized and prepared, you basically allow the mycelium to grow through this stuff that we call spawn, um, which is its nutrient source. And then you can mix it with a variety of different things um, that you use as a substrate. This is essentially um, building blocks to give it more space to grow out and solidify. Sometimes they can have nutrients in the substrate itself, sometimes they don't. And then you just have to introduce it to the right environmental conditions and the mushrooms grow up. So, I mean, you can do it. You can do it outside if you have the right environmental conditions where you live. You can do it under the shade of a tree in a patch of compost. Um, we do it inside in plastic tubs um, with uh, environmental control systems in the room to achieve a specific humidity and temperature and airflow. And then we have smaller plastic tubs that allow us to have kind of a microcosm of the larger environment. Um, Kind of gives us the ability to change the large environmental systems and kind of gradually change the smaller environmental um, 
realities inside of those tubs so that you're not shocking the mushrooms too much when you make when you make switches. But it's just a room with a big humidifier and a and a heater in it essentially. Are you combining these mushrooms with any other type of mushrooms like reishi or shaka or lion's mane? Uh, I have not seen any successful results of cross-species hybridization in the fungal kingdom yet. You can cross cubensis mushrooms because they are the same species, different varieties that have been identified. But um, one of the identified characteristics of a species is that it can't reproduce with a different species. There are people who've claimed that they've been able to achieve it. I have not seen the proof of that yet. So that's uh, actually brings up a good point. Um, so we're not going to be looking at genetically modifying anything. Uh, the the way this whole project kind of started out was through uh, the Bone Frog Foundation. is our organization, it's a nonprofit organization, a tax exempt organization, to do research on psychedelic treatments, specifically exploring different. Um, Various methods for using different substrates, different protocols, different procedures, adding nutrients uh, of different sorts like nitrates and things like that at different phases. And ideally, coming up with what Jonathan's job to do is, is to come up with a scalable, very, very economic method to produce the most optimal or desirable uh, chemical composition from a naturally occurring mushroom and then make it standardized enough to repeat so that we can achieve some respectable level of accreditation as far as like being federally regulated, like as if it were a lab synthesized compound, like FDA approval. And so that's that's the ultimate goal for the Bone Frog Foundation, uh, exploring the various cultivation methods. And Ethiotech is is actually dialing that in for us. And, and when we talk about combining different mushrooms, like you've heard, reishi chaka cordyceps, it's actually in the rest for the dose itself. They're additives. They're not actually genetically modified together. They're just, it's like an ingredient list. Talk about the Bone Frog Foundation while you brought it up. What is the Bone Frog Foundation for the listeners? And um, what, what can they do to get involved? The Bone Frog Foundation is an organization started by myself, a few other retired SEALs, and um, and our business partner, uh, Kevin Court. We, um, we essentially started this organization to get paperwork in line so that we can legally pursue uh, researching and developing medications that treat or remedy or fix the damaged brain tissue from TBI. From concussive force, because that seems to be the biggest concern for our special operators, first responders, um, and then there's such a long laundry list of professional athletes and people that have been in, you know, bad car accidents. I mean, any any place, construction workers. It's it's. I think construction workers have the highest have the highest rate of traumatic brain injury of any of any vocation that we know of. So it's it's something that has caused complications in in the mental health world. Everybody can agree that mental health is kind of a big concern for nationwide, you know, globally at the moment. And a lot of it is is a complicated uh undertaking to try to resolve when you're talking about working with damaged hardware and skirting damaged hardware that we very, very little understand. We we don't know much enough about the brain to work around it. 
So Bonefrog Foundation is working on finding ways to fix the hardware. And our and our mission statement is to repair all these damaged brains that are chemically imbalanced and killing themselves and try to reduce the number of veteran suicides that happen daily. And people can, you know, people can get involved if they want to participate in psychedelic related research and studies. There's different ways that they can, you know, we've got information about that on our websites, bffforvets.com. Um, we can leave some information and some materials behind with you and right. send you some links to put up. And, uh, you know, people can donate, people can get involved with studies, people can get involved with events that, we, that we're going to be hosting. And, and there's just a lot of information out there. And it's, we're very accessible for anybody that's got, you know, any desire to be part of this. You can, you can reach out to your legislators and tell them that you believe in and want to continue research and education into these different psychedelic substances and how they can help people because they are some of the biggest competitors of us being able to do this work. We're going to get into legalities here in a little bit. Before we do, what are some of the benefits or uses of, of this microdosing that you see where you guys sit today? Uh, yeah. so, so we talked a little bit about damaged brains and trying to repair the damage that was done by impact. Uh, there's a lot of human performance here. So everybody has some issue, if you will. We won't go into details, but somebody is, some issues that are on the brain-gut axis. You know, everybody has an issue, whether it's eating, whether it's metabolism, whether it's sleep. Psilocybin really covers all of the bases. It helps with sleep. It helps with metabolism. It helps reinforce tasks and learning is one of them in your brain. So one of the great analogies that's out there is psilocybin helps you move from a two-lane road to a four-lane highway. And then with enough interaction with this kind of molecule, it helps you move to the superhighway. And so that is helping with learning. It's helping with recovery. It helps as I said, most of the hormonal and bodily functions that you have, including metabolism and sleep. So as far as we know, there's not much you can't do at this point. Understanding how it works is a matter of research. And so Bonefrog Foundation is definitely focused on helping people repair issues. But Entheotech and a number of other organizations we work with are definitely involved with human performance. How do we make people work, learn, and function better. For somebody, somebody like myself who works in a normal daily basis, I noticed one thing when I was doing this with microdosing is anxiety level for, for and my testosterone level is actually for right Tremendous. And Ben can tell you about some of his colleagues and the impact they've had on, you know, getting up and going to the bathroom every for sure. That has huge impact on the quality of your sleep. I'm not talking about drinking a gallon of beer when you go to bed. Right. No, this is just normal everyday activity. If you can sleep through the night, you don't have to get up and go to the bathroom every night, especially older men and older being about 30. <laughs> you know, it truly impacts your sleep, which impacts your anxiety, which impacts your mood, and it just goes all the way through your daily activities. Thank you. Give me some details. For sure. Um, it's 
So the effects of it, like what does it do, is is kind of a loaded question at this moment for anyone that's serious about the research in this field. Um, it, it's definitely a loaded question. We have seen, you know, empirical data that suggests that it uh, has X Y Z effects, whether it's on sleep metabolism, you know, neurogenesis, etc. But the reality is, is something we are certain that it does is it uh, modulates blood flow in a region of the brain called the locus ceruleus, and that is the hub that controls most of the major facilities and functions, it, like bodily systems. It's uh, it's responsible for uh, for regulating uh, healthy motility in your smooth muscles and your in your GI tract. It's helpful for regulating uh, your appetite, your cravings. So it balances microbiome and blood chemistry, and um, and since it modulates that serotonin receptor, the 5-HT2A, it has a profound effect on time dilation, which is, uh, I think, in my opinion, probably one of the points of origin, or yeah, one of the few points of origin of a lot of people's anxiety. People feel like there's too many tasks that they've committed to, and there's very little time to do it. And time management seems to be a seems to be a center point for the origin of a lot of people's anxiety. So I think that that receptor being modulated and time dilation being a product of that, accompanied with uh, healthy sleep patterns from, you know your serotonin systems because serotonin and melatonin operate from the same regulator and modulator. So healthy serotonin from a healthy gut, healthy melatonin for sleep pattern from healthy serotonin system function, and then uh, reduction in anxiety, balanced cortisol levels, and enough time management perceivably that you, you know you, you just kind of feel like everything's going your way. And so it's, it's tough, like Doc said, you know, not everybody sleeps the same way. Not everybody eats the same diet. Not everybody's had the same number of concussions. Not everybody's got the same genetic, chemical, biochemical profile. So it's very complicated to, to tell you exactly what it's going to do for you without discrediting our professionalism. The reality is, is that whatever's wrong with you, it's probably going to help fix. And we haven't seen any evidence to the contrary. It hasn't made anything worse for anybody yet. Is there any downside to microdose? Um, I was going to bring up okay. that there are no to it, that there are some potential downsides. Um, this is really more when you're talking about macrodosing, but it's a warning that I want to make really clear. There is some evidence that people with severe forms of manic depressive disorder, bipolar, and people with schizophrenia can have bad reactions with psychedelics. Um, it's not the case for every person who's been diagnosed with these things, but it can create mental breaks. And so if people are deciding to experiment or do research on their own, if they know that they've been diagnosed with some of these things, this is just a very clear warning to be aware that there are some potential bad effects out there. Outside of those two specific neurological issues, yeah, those are large, those are large doses. They very much have to be coupled with a genetic predisposition or an existing condition that is, that is a hard, fast, known high risk. And so it's it's definitely prudent for anyone and everyone considering this to consult their healthcare professional. It's not taboo. It's it's not frowned upon. It, it's a uh, it's a breakthrough medicine, essentially. So anybody that's interested in this and wants to go to macrodose should absolutely consult their healthcare professional and realize that it's a serotonergic compound. So think you know antidepressants like uh, SSRIs 
probably not a good idea to pair a heavy serotonergic compound with those. Microdose is fairly safe, but uh, it's case by case for sure. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say outside of those things, yeah, specifically the SSRI medications and those um, those other conditions. I am not currently aware of any other conditions that uh, psilocin interacts badly with. So, especially in a especially in a microdose environment, you're looking at something that's extremely safe. So let's talk about how people go about this. It's not legal yet. Let's talk about the legalization of it and also how does somebody that is dealing with TM or traumatic brain injury or PTSD or somebody like that is experiencing some of the side effects that need to be repaired. How do they go about that when it's not legalized? Or I know there's a couple places you can go get trained to do this at. Uh, but where does somebody reach out to that doesn't know anything about it or wants to investigate? So there's, uh, first off, that's absolutely something that Bonefrog Foundation facilitates. We uh, we will uh, take in anyone that's interested in, in becoming part of these studies or interested in a treatment. We'll go case by case. We'll hear everybody out and we'll connect them with professionals that can, that can uh, give them whether desired in-state is, whatever procedure or medication it is, if we can't facilitate that, or whatever we got at our disposal, we have uh, we have no problem setting people up with. But in general, there's uh, such a high volume of clinical trials taking place in every corner of the entire country that are absolutely legit, uh, very, very closely monitored, very safe, very effective. And there's a handful of little pockets of places where the decriminalized nature of it makes it so that you can grow, be in possession of, take, and and give to people, but you can't actually buy or sell it. So it's not necessarily illegal, but it's not also like perfectly legal. You won't be criminally prosecuted for it. So there's some flexibility and amnesty there. And then... Um, and then there's actually treatment protocols in a large number of facilities, more and more every day. Now that they've, uh, now that it's passed stage four clinical trials, it's actually approved for treatment protocols at different hospitals and universities and other organizations like that nationwide. Where do you see the legalization of it at this point? I think there's uh, you know, probably five or seven cities nationwide. You know, probably like twelve well, different municipalities. Yeah. By 12 or 13 different municipalities where you can't get in trouble for it, but you also can't open market, sell it to a consumer base. So all of the state of Oregon, uh, Ann Arbor, the city of Ann Arbor, uh, the District of Columbia, Washington, D.C., um, Oakland and California, uh, Seattle. Um, so all of these different places have done some form of decriminalization. If that is, you know, Making it legal as far as their local standards are, or decriminalizing it so that is the, it is the lowest standard of prosecution and interest for um, their legal entities, regulatory entities, um, and then I believe maybe San Jose as well. There's a small number of cities throughout the country, and then I think there's some state, more state ballot initiatives that people have been trying to push for. I know that it um, was just brought up at a city council meeting here in Atlanta very recently talking about trying to decriminalize it as well. Um, there's been really good movement 
and uh, the plant legalization pushes. Um, you know, we're taking a, a slightly different track, trying to trying to go up the top of the ladder and try to try to provide a lot of value um, to our military and uh, do these things scientifically, so we can then convince the DEA to deschedule to medicinal use and open it up for the entire country. But fortunately, there are a lot of smaller communities who are taking these initiatives themselves and making it uh, accessible to their people. So, is there a database for practitioners that can? That, is there like, is that happening yet? Like a database for practitioners that can actually administer this? So it's starting. There's a database for information, and as Ben said, there's a lot of clinical trials. There's a lot of university research that's being done in this country as well as other countries. But there's no really good source where you could head to that if you wanted to try this. One of the best places that we're familiar with is the Bone Product Foundation and addressing them first. You know, send them a message and they can look at where you are in the U.S., where you are situationally and help suggest a, a game plan, a way forward if you're interested in this. It is one of the safest compounds out there. When we compare it to alcohol, when we compare it to other painkillers, you know, it's on the other side of the spectrum. There's no addictive uh, nature to it. There's no um, real addiction issues associated with psilocybin. So if it's maybe not popular, but, you know, we have alcohol on one hand and we have psilocybin on the other hand, and they are so far apart when it comes to safety as far as psilocybin being safe. Uh, we can get into cannabis. There's a lot of issues there. Uh, with understanding and availability and legality. But coming back around to your legality, a lot of people have ballot initiatives to uh, legalize this in some form or another. Now, maybe with a trained psychotherapist and maybe with an analyst or a therapist, but there are ways to get your hands on this. Okay. So the Bone Frog, Bone Frog Foundation, put the link in the show notes for sure. Uh, as far as studies go, I know John Hopkins did one in March of 2022. Probably the most recent one I've read. Is there, is there a lot of other studies out there that people should look for? There's literally hundreds, there's thousands of ongoing studies and tens of thousands of new ones. <laughs> I mean, Dr. Dr. Roland Griffiths at Johns Hopkins has been pushing this research for the last two years. Uh, when they finally allowed him to spool it back up again after it was all shut down you know, when the war on drugs started. I mean, there are over a thousand active studies into various psychedelic compounds going on uh, when Nixon started the war on drugs and shut them all down simultaneously. And just here in the early 2000s, um, people were given permission to start bringing them back up again. And Dr. Roland Griffiths really took that um, and charged forward, really was the one who started gaining acceptance in the academic community because of the rigors of his studies, how professionally constructed they were and executed, and he's showing um, real results. And on the back of his research and the pioneering that he was doing, many other academics have started doing the same things around the country and around the world. Um, so if you're looking for specific scientific information, I would start with Dr. Roland Griffiths, dive into the work that he's done, and by researching his work, you will then find other studies as well. 
but you're looking at about two decades worth of uh, worth of scientific research. So what look at now is Robin Carhart Harris, who was at the University of London. I believe he was at the University of London, um, but he is very active in this research. So uh, very good studies coming out of his groups. I believe he's in California now, uh, but has interests everywhere and certainly very good research. And, uh, I'm going to open the floor up to you guys. Whatever. I mean, we've covered a lot today, but what was there anything that we missed that you'd like to make sure to get to the get on the show today and, and people can know about? Just so safety, I think you can't really speak enough about safety. And just buying almost anything off the street is not a safe practice. So once again, Bone Frog Foundation should be your first stop, should be your first call in order to access some of this medicine. Uh, that said, again, we've not read anything where people have had a problem with psilocybin. Uh, it's extremely safe, but um, buying things that you don't know how they're prepared, where they come from, who's touched it, is not the greatest idea. Yeah, and like anything else, anything off of the street, so to speak, is risky. Sexy, you know, walking on top that they bought in the aftermarket. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's a nasty black market. Well, when I posted on Facebook and hashtagged it on my page about psilocybin and microdosing, we got all these people up on Instagram that are selling mushrooms like. Creeping on my page, I'm like, I had to take the hashtag off because all these freaking idiots were trying to sell shit on my page. <laughs> so, to your point, yeah, right, right. Yeah. So the people at this table uh, understand breathing, meditation, uh, nutritional analysis. With some of the veterans that we work with, they're working with hyperbaric chambers. You know, psilocybin works extremely well with all of these other technologies. The more work that you put into it prior to doing the microdose and integrating the microdose into your daily activities, whether you're taking it or you finish your 30 days, you know, all of that's very important. And we can help you prepare, which we call the set. You know, we can help you with the setting um, on your daily activities while you're taking the microdose. We can also help you with integrating all of the things that you've trained yourself to do. And one of the best things about microdose is training and learning at the same time that you're doing microdose. It reinforces your habits, your activities. The idea that you have to take ADD medication to study more, and this is for all the college kids out there, you know, microdose is a safer alternative. It's a longer term uh, impact than any of the ADD medication. Absolutely. So we can help 100%. you move away from ADD medication where you've already tried it, if you're still on it, or if you're thinking about it, psilocybin is a great alternative. I wanted to add that um, when I take my microdose, I take it in combination with um, a variety of other medicinal mushrooms. Um, and when I'm in the middle of a regimen, if I miss my psilocybin microdose, I definitely feel that effect that day or the next day. But it's funny, my medicinal mushrooms, if I run out of those, sometimes I feel like I almost feel those more than the psilocybin. 
Um, so there's definitely a synergy and entourage effect, whatever you want to call it, in combining those things. Um, I use a blend of several different types. Um, I use um, a blend of seven medicinal mushrooms made by Paul Stamets Host Defense as Stamets 7. And then I also take um, a variety of um, things inside of the aspen tree capsules. Aspen tree makes a combination of medicinal mushrooms um, that has cannabinoids and adaptogens in it. Um, so I'm getting a lot of the, the anti-inflammation uh, effects um, as well as some other really great compounds that either help me sleep or help me focus during the day. Um, they have a variety of products kind of for different phases of your day. And uh, when I take that combination of my aspen tree, my host defense, and my psilocybin-containing microdose, I wake up and feel like I have HD vision, clarity of thought. I am calm and measured and directed and focused. You know, Ken's talking about uh, replacing ADHD medication. You really can get all of the benefits without any of the anxiety, without the loss of appetite, with without the tremors and giddiness and just general feelings of anxiety that come from those amphetamine-based medicines. I mean, really and truly, I think anybody who's going to listen to this show, if they talk here in this room, is going to say a naturally derived fungal compound that can give you all the benefits versus an amphetamine, we know which one's going to be better for you. It's really no contest. Um, definitely worth thinking about if that's something that you're taking out there. Speak a little bit about aspen tree before you go. Yeah, so aspen tree is a, a product that's being produced by our company group. Um, the aspen tree brand is uh, four different supplements. Um, it's called Perform, Focus, Calm, and Sleep. Each capsule has a different combination of medicinal mushrooms, cannabinoids, and adaptogens. Um, so for instance, I'm not going to be able to name all the specific compounds in these because the formulas are relatively complicated, but my personal favorite right now is the sleep medication. I take one of these capsules and I fall asleep pretty quickly and wake up eight hours later like fresh as a daisy. I actually have a pretty severe form of sleep apnea and I don't have a CPAP at the moment. And I've had a lot of trouble sleeping over the last you know, six to 12 months. And once I've introduced the sleep capsule to my regimen, I wake up feeling like I've gotten real rest. And so in addition to having reishi mushrooms in it, it has uh, you know, cannabinoids, but it has things like um, melatonin and tryptophan, You know, some of these naturally derived um, chemicals that can help give you the best sleep possible. That's a, the same for something like our Perform, which is intended to be made taken before you work out as cordyceps mushrooms in there, which increases the oxygen supply to your muscles, helps you build more muscle mass, and it has several other compounds in there. Um, Dr. Ken actually might be able to describe a, a short list of what's in a couple of these different formulations since she was the one in, involved in actually putting the list together. But yeah, I love one, these compounds. The sleep one is working well. Uh, you have GABA in your team? There is no GABA in there. Uh, GABA... I'm not a complete believer in adding GABA to products. Uh, the precursors to GABA, I think, are okay. Right. However, uh, adding, you need to be careful when you add GABA. You let your body make that in its own terms. Right. Correct. It depletes by B12. And yeah, GABA is involved with a lot of pathways. The uh, One of my favorite of the Aspen Tree products is the Focus. Uh, it contains Lion's Mane, which also is... 
probably second best to psilocybin when it comes to neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, but it works really well. I take lion's uh, mane every day. Uh, it helps with brain function. It also helps with that learning and, and task uh, adaptation uh, that occurs. Uh, it also has alpha-GPC in there, which addresses acetylcholine in your brain, which is part of the memory process. So the focus works really well. The sleep, going back to the sleep, the sleep has a couple of very active cannabinoids in there. And those are CBD and CBN, uh, which are proven to help people sleep. As Jonathan said, there's chamomile, there's melatonin. Uh, there are basically uh, a complex proprietary formulation that we put together that really does work. And it's a single capsule. And I don't know about Jonathan being a daisy, but you know, uh, having a great night's sleep, you can be anything you want to be. So where do people find Aspen? They contact the Bone Frog organization. Aspen Tree is there. Uh, they can also address the CBD store and more here in Roswell, Georgia. Uh, Harvest Connect is on the internet. AspenTreeStrooms.com. You can find uh, more information on all the Aspen Tree products. Okay. Uh, is there anything else? So before we close out, I mean, obviously, um, this has been an awesome opportunity to get, you know, gain some visibility and, and reach out to anybody in your demographic that might benefit from this. But we should, we really want to make it clear that this is not only for people that have issues. I mean, everybody's got issues, everybody's got room to grow. But no matter how well you are or how unwell you believe yourself to be, this is something that I think we can safely all agree that it, universally everybody has room to improve. So don't, I, I don't want us to lazily get lumped into a category of only being healthy because it fixes damage. It, it's also a crazy, unique, exciting, an unprecedented opportunity to to really enhance growth wherever you are. Become your best self. Absolutely. And the it path in the path to self-actualization and the healthiest, cleanest, most economical and stress-free life. It's, it's certainly a uh, a huge tool. Who the fuck doesn't need that? Who doesn't want it? Yeah. Like, come on. I don't know anybody that doesn't want right. it. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much, man. This was amazing. I appreciate the time and uh, taking the time today to be with me. I appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for joining in today with the Rebel Health Coach, Tom Underwood. And be sure to subscribe to the show so you can catch all the episodes. With desire and commitment, you can implement a lifestyle of wellness and fitness. For the support, encouragement, and tools you need to be successful, visit TomUnderwood.net.